HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to HRN On Tour, live from the HRN Podcast Lounge at the Art of Cheese Festival in Madison, Wisconsin. Hosted by Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin, this first-time event brings together cheesemakers, dairy farmers, mongers, chefs, and cheese lovers to celebrate Wisconsin's 180 years of cheesemaking excellence. Welcome to HRN Podcast Lounge, live at the Art of Cheese Festival. I'm Jessica. And I am here with Marissa Mullen. Hello. It's great to see you again. We Likewise. talked not that long ago after the publication of your latest book, That Cheese Plate Wants to Party. <laughs> so Marissa is an author. She also creates amazing cheese content for uh, Instagram and other platforms and she teaches. And you're here today at the Art of Cheese Festival because you are teaching a couple of sessions. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about what, uh, what it is you're doing in these sessions? What can we expect? Yes. So these sessions are all based on my method, Cheese by Numbers, which is a step-by-step um, process to building a cheese plate. And this method really breaks down building a cheese plate. I think a lot of the times you look on the internet and you see these elaborate boards and you don't know where to start. And what Cheese by Numbers does is separates everything into a six-step process. So that is cheese, meat, produce, crunch, dip, garnish. So with these classes, it's basically a build-your-own-board cheese class where we'll start the class doing a little bit of cheese education, cheese tasting, kind of an overview of the cheeses we're featuring because, of course, that's the most important part of the cheese board. And then we will go through the method uh, to build these boards. And it's so much fun because I feel like it reminds me of those paint and sip classes where the instructor's in the front of the room painting and you paint along, but every single board looks different. And it just really shows people's creativity. I've seen, you know, of course, a salami river, which is my signature, but then people do like salami pyramids and they go wild. And it's just such a fun way to, um, you know, express your creativity as well as learning about the actual items on the plate. I think, you know, with what I do, I, it's a balance between, you know, what is a good cheese pairing, 
what is this cheese, like how should we enjoy this cheese, how should we cut this cheese, how should we serve it, but also how can we kind of judge it up to make it look more like a centerpiece on a table versus just a plate of cheese? We are fortunate that we are at a festival in a state like Wisconsin, which is, you know, pretty much a cheese capital and also a capital for other items like you, that you mentioned that can go on these cheese boards. Tell us a little bit about what you're enjoying about Wisconsin and what, what would a Wisconsin cheese board look like for you? Yes, well, being in Wisconsin, we're very spoiled with all of the incredible cheese. Um, you know, I, with the class we're teaching today, we have five different cheeses and featuring one of my favorites, which is Pleasant Ridge Reserve Uplands Cheese. When I was here back in 2019 for a press trip, we got to go to the farm and just kind of see the root of where this cheese comes from and then seeing it on the plate. It's such a full circle experience. And I think that's what Wisconsin does so well is, you know, they appreciate their dairy farmers. They bring people into their world from the farm to the cheese, to the plate. Um, so Pleasant Ridge Reserve is great. We have amazing triple cream brie on the plate. We're doing uh, Satori, Bellavitano, garlic and herb, which is one of my favorites. I think the cheese here, there's so much variety that you can really create so many different pairings with those items. Um, but yeah, same with the jams here, with the crackers here, there's just so many amazing small batch uh, producers that I'm really excited to just you know feature. So why do you think the cheese plate and cheese boards have taken off so much. And you and I have talked about this before, but what is it about the visual or the create, creative act of creating one? Like, what is it that has made us all so gaga <laughs> for playing with our food like this? I think it's a few different things. Um, you know, for me, making a cheese plate is all about kind of grounding into the present moment. Um, I started my Instagram 10 years ago now, which is crazy, but it really started to take off when I was working in the music business and having this act of creating a cheese board, you know, I'm in my apartment, there's natural light coming in, I'm playing music. It really was like a grounding uh, opportunity for myself, but then making a cheese plate is an act of service for others as well. So, you know, you invite people over, you share this creation, you're proud of it, your friends see it, they're like, this is amazing because it is so visually stimulating. Um, so I do think that there is kind of a relationship between a personal relationship and then a social relationship around the plate itself. I also feel like with a cheese plate, it just gives you so many opportunities for tastes and for pairings. You know, if you have a bowl of guacamole, it's just guacamole, you know, which love guacamole. But with a cheese plate, there's endless possibilities for different flavor combinations and there's opportunities for stories to be told around the cheese plate. Like, you know, if I put a Gruyere on a board and I tell a story about how I went to Switzerland, that can open up new conversations um, just around the plate itself. So there's just like, I think it's just such a connecting food item um, that people really do get excited about. And then of course, you know, the aesthetics of it in the age of the internet, people love to eat with their eyes first. And a cheese board is that perfect opportunity to create a work of art that you can then share online that other people can be inspired by. So it just, it's the perfect, it has so many elements that make it great. Are there any pairing favorites that you want to share with us? Ooh, well, since it's fall, I've been getting into some funky fall pairings. Um, I really love blue cheese with maple syrup. Ooh. So it's kind of like, you know, you get that pungent blue cheese and then you 
go on the opposite side of the flavor wheel and get some sweet maple syrup in there. Um, that's a great combination. I've been actually toying, uh, playing around with an idea of doing savory pancakes with like blue cheese crumble and maple syrup. Huh. We'll see. That might be coming soon. I feel like it I could, could be cool. I could see that. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I also love in the fall doing some sort of like Gouda um, with like, you know, the caramel nutty notes and pairing that with like a caramelized um, or like a candied pecan or caramelized onion jam. Just kind of diving into those like cozy fall pairings right now. So we're at the Art of Cheese. We are in, with, we are in Madison and we are steps away from the famous farmer's market. And walking over here this morning, I had a chance to walk through there, and I saw so many peppers, hot peppers, oh. and hot sauce, and salsas. What about spicy as an element on a cheese board? For sure. I think you can definitely play around with spice, because an item like cheese is very you know, fatty, and it's buttery, and it kind of needs to be cut sometimes with a spice. Um, you know, I think pepper jack is popular for a reason because it has those spicy notes to it. So if you want to take it a step further, get a really nice cheddar and you can pair that with like a, I really love, um, tomatillo hot sauce, like green hot sauce, cause it's not too spicy, but it has that really nice, um, has a nice flavor to it. So pairing, you know, cheese with salsa could be a fun opportunity, but then you think about, um, you know, Super Bowl food and we're in football season and everyone loves like blue cheese and hot sauce on chicken wings. So, you know, I think what's fun to do is take snacks like that and then kind of break them down to make them a little bit more artisanal on a cheese board. That's always a really fun thing that I love to do. I know you've been traveling a lot. You have been promoting your, that, your latest book, That Cheese Plate Wants to Party, and then just personal travel as well. So now we're here again, like I said, in Madison, and there are people from all over the country here. Where do you see the connection or the intersection between travel and, and food, in particular cheese? Where are we going with this? Is this now the thing? Is this what we do now? <laughs> we'll travel for cheese. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that for me personally, travel is always revolving around food. Um, everywhere I go, I seek out restaurants to try, cheese shops to go to. Um, I was just in Paris and I literally made this Google Maps that had every single cheese shop I can find. Because I think, you know, figuring out, first of all, like an itinerary for your day, it is based around what you're eating, let's be real, <laughs> and mm -hmm. maybe like going to a museum or something. But trying cheese and trying food in these local communities really gives you a glimpse into what the community is all about. You know, like if you do come to a place like Madison, you can try all of these amazing cheeses and then learn about the farms that are just nearby. And I think that has an added element, um, you know, to create a lasting experience is you don't only have this food that you're trying, but you have this whole story now that you can bring back home and you can create a memory out of it. So I do think that traveling for cheese is something that I want to explore more as, you know, we can travel more now. Um, I think after COVID, it took a little bit to get back into the swing of things. But now that I'm constantly on the go, I'm like, I don't really want to stop anytime soon. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, what have been some of your favorite cheeses that you've got to try uh, since you got into town? Ooh, so the, uh, let's see. 
We were at the cheese ball there last were so, night. I'm like racking my brain because I ate so much cheese last night. So much night. cheese. Oh my God. And there were a lot of flavored cheeses. There were. I really loved, I mean, the 15-year cheddar. I was just kind of standing there eating that nonstop. It was so good. Um, Luna was amazing. Love that cheese. Um, I tried, oh my gosh. I mean, the triple cream brie, it was sitting out for the perfect amount of time and it was just the best buttery consistency. Um, the Colby Jack, that was a surprising one. Um, it, the consistency was really interesting with that, like a little bit spongy. Um, oh my gosh. Obviously, love Pleasant Ridge Reserve. Mm-hmm. Love Hooks. Um, five-year cheddar. Dumbarton Blue, incredible. Dumbarton Blue. Um, there's just so many. There were They're so all incredible. Many. There were so many. Oh, if, you got you have to be kidding because I love the play on words with that one. The triple. <laughs> I the uh, I missed that one. So it's the three milk. It's goat's milk, cow's milk, sheep's milk, blue cheese, and so it's this like blend of creamy, you know, different milks, and then you have the blue going through the center. That's and the name is just so funny. It's like a play on words. Do you feel like um, there's something that you might take into your classes beyond? You know, from now on into the future about Wisconsin, something you might start, you would, that you would want people to know about Wisconsin that maybe they didn't realize when it comes to cheese. Definitely. And I do talk about Wisconsin in a lot of my classes because I feature a lot of Wisconsin cheese. Um, I think having the experience that I got to have four years ago here where we did a tour of a ton of different dairy farms um, was such an eye-opening experience because, again, like I live in New York City and I don't really have access to farms very easily. And just being able to see that, you know, so many of these cheese companies pay such close attention to the treatment of their animals and what they're feeding them and the, the process of the cheese making. There's so much heart and soul that goes into it. And, um, you know, Wisconsin is so much more than the cheese hat. <laughs> it's like there is such a beautiful artisanal quality to all of the cheese, a lot of the cheeses here. Um, and it really, I think it represents, you know, an element of America that we really should celebrate because after going to Europe, you know, you see how much cheese is a part of everyday culture there. And here it's not so much because it's such a big country. But being in a place like this, it reminds me of being somewhere like in Europe because you do have that celebration of cheese and it is part of everyday life here, which I feel like should be promoted more across the country. Very, I agree. I agree. Um, I have been really surprised by the... There's a, there's a diversity of styles of cheese being made in Wisconsin, but last night was interesting that I saw like Gouda, for example, displayed in so many different styles, ages, flavors. Yeah. Then there was cheddar displayed in so many different styles, ages, and flavors. Um, and some of them were large producers and some of them were smaller producers. And I, you know, thinking back again to like what the voice that you have and the platform that you have, to be able to highlight a single cheese and then show all the different ways that you can diversify. So you do talk uh, in one of the books, I think you do mention about how you could take, like, just focus on cheddar. Mm -hmm. And you can do, like, uh, is, the frame, is the phrase vertical? Pair, like a, a flight where you can, like, take a smoky cheddar and, a, and an aged oh, yeah. cheddar and a, you know, and a young cheddar. Yeah. Um, so what would you recommend, like, for a plate like that? If you were just to focus on, like, Gouda. Mm -hmm. what, would a, what would a cheese plate look like for you if you were to create one? So 
with Gouda, you want to f- like kind of dive into the ages and figure out what notes kind of come out with each age. So like a young Gouda, for example, it is mild, it's buttery. Something like that, you don't want to really overpower it because it doesn't have that punch of a super aged Gouda. So I would pair that with something like a dried apricot. Um, when I think about cheese pairings, I love to think about what flavors do I kind of get out of the cheese itself or like what kind of wine would I pair this with and what are the flavor notes of that wine that I can take out into a produce item. So for like a young Gouda, I feel like a dried apricot is great because I would pair a young Gouda with like a white wine that maybe has like some light stone fruit flavors. Yeah. Um, another I do thing- believe there was an ice cream last night made with Gouda and dried apricots. Oh, no way. Yeah. I it was an ice that. cream. Yum. That sounds good. cream with cheese in it, but okay. it worked. Love it, that. Especially because of that dried apricot. Yeah. yeah. And then like, uh, you know, not a super aged Gouda, but let's say like mid-aged Gouda. Um, that's where the flavors start to develop a little bit more, but it doesn't necessarily get that sweet um, caramel flavor yet. Mm-hmm. And something like that, since it is salty and fatty, I would pair that with a charcuterie of some sort. So maybe like a dry salami or... Even prosciutto might be good with that because, again, when you're talking about cheese pairings, you either want to do contrasting elements or similar elements. So doing something salty and fatty like a charcuterie is great with a salty, fatty Gouda. And then once we get to the super aged Gouda, you know, like the crumbly, caramelly, delicious, my favorite, I love with like the the crystals in it. Mm -hmm. Um, You can go in two directions. You know, if we're looking at this cheese board, we have dried apricots, we have salami, So I would like to add some sort of dip or jam on the plate. And something like this actually would be amazing with like a caramelized onion jam, because then you kind of dive into those savory pairings. Um, If you want to kind of switch it and do a little bit more of a sweet side, dark chocolate and aged Gouda is a favorite of mine. Um, That's where we kind of play with the contrasting elements of having, you know, a sweet dark chocolate that still has some bitterness to it with this like super caramelly, nutty Gouda. There's so many options. It's so fun. I love to do plates like this where I actually wrote an article for Food 52 um, with help from the late, great Ann Saxelby, and it was a deep dive into the world of cheddar. So exploring all of the different types of cheddar, how is it different in flavor, how is it different in pairings, and it's true. You can take one cheese and just run with it. It's amazing. I love that creative approach. I think there's always, there's always a way, right? So whatever's in your cheese drawer, you, there's a way you can create something visually exciting. And like you said, it, when you're sharing it with somebody, you've created it and you share it with somebody, it takes on its own meaning. Yeah, so, it's a relationship. And it also, relationship. pairings are personal. So if you like it, that's great. It works for you. You can take suggestions from me. But a lot of the time, I think people get a little... Um, you know, tied up about pairings. And I'm like, it's not that deep. If you like it, (laughs) do it. (laughs) That's right. But pairings are personal. And then they're also great to share. So it goes both ways. The the cheese is self-care. The cheese board, the cheese plate is self-care. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the festival. I hope you get some time to go check out the Oh, yes. I'm going to try. It looks insane. Amazing. And, um, and I look forward to having you on Cutting the Curd again yes. for, when you have your next book. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, thank you, Marissa Mullen, for yep. joining us. Thanks for having me. And thank me. you, everyone, for joining us in the HRN Podcast Lounge at The Art of Cheese.
This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams of new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome to the HRN Podcast Lounge, live at the Art of Cheese Festival. I'm H. Conley, and I'm here with Kat Craddock. Um, Kat, could you introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, thanks for having me, H. I'm Kat Craddock. I'm the editor-in-chief and CEO at Sever Magazine, and a former cheesemonger. Very excited to be in Wisconsin today. Oh, wow. Well, so for those who aren't aware, um, could you share like a little summary of the last year of Sever and what's been yeah. going on? Yeah, uh, it's been a big one. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I've been with Sever for eight years and have been through, you know, they're through a lot of different kind of changes in ownership and leadership. Um, But earlier this year, um, kind of embarked on this new venture where I I partnered with a good friend to um, buy it from Sever's former owner, and we've broken it out to be an entirely independent publication now, editor-led. Yeah, and figuring out what a a food publication that is also a small business is going to look like in uh, moving into the future. Yeah. Well, so what inspired you to take it independent? Um, I mean, I've kind of been thinking about it for years, you know, and I I worked at uh, independent cheese shops and restaurants a lot over the years. Um, And, you know, when I was working at Sever, it seemed like a lot of the things about running a test kitchen and about running a publication were kind of restaurant adjacent and always sort of wondered if it was something that could, you know, really thrive on its own. Um, And when it seemed like there was an opportunity to to do so, um, I kind of wanted to give it a shot, you know, and I I love the publication and grew up reading it and want to see it survive. And the food media is changing so quickly right now that I think that it being, that Sever being in the hands of somebody that loves it is the best chance it has for, you know, um, a long future ahead of itself. Yeah. Well, uh, what are the, like, you know, you don't have to get into too much detail, whatever you can share about, like, what are the changes that have come from taking it independent? Um, I mean, it's a lot of small business logistics right now, like mm-hmm. figuring out what business insurance we need and how we're going to pay payroll and make sure that everyone has, like, health care and things like that. So and making sure that, you know, we continue to publish editorial content that is, you know, what we want to do um, is super important. Uh, the first few months is definitely about, you know, kind of ground, making sure that, like, we've got a stable ground under, underneath us so that the next, like, six months to a year we can start rolling out the big, exciting stuff that's ahead of us. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, so, you know, there are tons of food festivals that happen all the time. I'm curious, like, what brought you to this one specifically? Um, I mean, I'm often in Wisconsin. I'm a, a big fan of the cheese industry here. And, um, yeah, when I heard, you know, what the programming is going to be, it seemed like a, a no-brainer and a perfect time of the year to come. So yeah. um, definitely want to come next year. If, if it's happening next year, I'll definitely be here. I think 2025. Okay, is the, great. Is the, Even yeah. better. Yeah, so I'll put it in my calendar. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so what have you been up to this weekend? 
Um, so when we got in, um, we had a lovely all-cheese dinner at um, Harvey House, which is one of my favorite restaurants in town. Um, every time I've been here over the past couple of years, I go. Um, and yeah, and then yesterday I took an excursion into the Driftless region um, to visit Andy Hatch at Uplands, um, which he makes two of my favorite American two of my favorite cheeses, not just American cheeses, um, and also kind of a, a tour and luncheon over at the um, uh, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright property out in the Driftless region as well. Yeah, well, and you, you've interviewed Andy before, right? Um, had you ever been to his farm? What was, what was that like to like be there? Yeah, I was there, gosh, maybe like four or five years ago now. Um, so, I mean, I'm familiar with Andy and his operation and his cheeses, but they've developed the property a little bit more and there's um, kind of this annex addition that they've added for uh, like kind of a tasting space, which was cool to see. Um, yeah, and I hadn't been this time of year either, so it was lovely to see the cows out on pasture in beautiful fall weather. Yeah, well, so that was, like you said, it was this um, partner or like excursion that involved uplands and visiting Frank Lloyd Wright's Taliesin. Um, and so it was like this food and architecture combo. Um, and I wonder, like, working in food media, I wonder if food ever gets a little stagnant and whether doing something like that, going on that kind of excursion that has this, like, um, looking at food from a specific angle, how that inspires you and, like, what you want to do at Sever. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Sever has kind of always walked that line of food as culture, right, and talked a lot about, you know, the, the intersection of food and politics and art and um, music, and I think that it, it was a really nice fit for the way that I'm kind of always thinking about content for us. Um, obviously, the terroir of that particular part of the state really influenced both Frank Lloyd Wright's work as well as Andy, Andy Hatch's and Scott Merica's work, um, making Pleasant Ridge Reserve. So um, I wouldn't say it was a huge surprise. Like, I'm kind of always thinking that way anyway, but it is kind of nice to immerse yourself in that, um, that sort of experience. Nice. Yeah, well, so you say you come to Wisconsin a lot. What makes Wisconsin a, like, continually interesting food environment to cover? Um, yeah, I mean, I was talking to somebody earlier today, and it's funny because, like, I, I live in New York City, right? And, like, you, you can eat at a different restaurant every single day at every single meal in New York City and, like, never run out. But, I've, like, Wisconsin, Madison's obviously much smaller, but every time I've come, I've eaten at a different restaurant and had a really wonderful experience. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the, the ingredients in the area, and it's obviously, like, an uh, agricultural hub. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, so I'm curious, what has been the, have you had a highlight best cheese of the weekend? Oh gosh, that's tough. I'm probably on like cheese, I don't know, like 75 of the day or something right now. Um, uh, it's, I'm obviously an Andy Hatch super fan. Pleasant Ridge Reserve and Rush Creek Reserve are two of my favorites. Rush Creek Reserve is not ready yet this season, so mm -hmm. I'm like waiting with bated breath for that. Um, but it was cool to see them being produced. Yeah, you got uh, to see Because he starts the working bark. on them right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was cool to see, uh, yeah, these cheeses that I'm definitely going to be ordering for like my holiday table coming up. Yeah. Did you meet any cheesemakers that you hadn't encountered before that you're like, uh, you know, maybe going to... Maybe not. No, I don't think any new cheesemakers that I haven't met yet. But hopefully later on today, I think there's going to be a cheesemaker happy hour pretty soon. Uh, nice. So yeah. Um, well, did you like? Yeah, I'm curious. Like, is there anything new you've like learned this weekend? Any like? Yeah. 
Um, well, I just came from a really great panel on affinage in cheese with, um, with Liz Thorpe, uh, who been a fan of her writing for a long time. Um, so yeah, that was hosted on the top floor of the Museum of Contemporary Art. Um, and I, I don't know, for, I'm sure your readers know what affinage is, but for anybody that doesn't, it's the art of you know, aging cheese uh, and transforming a young cheese into something beautiful and new. Um, and there are some, some parts of the process that I'm familiar with, but it, it was really great to hear her perspective um, on the different ways that Wisconsin uh, cheesemakers specifically are, are doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you said your original experience was as a monger. Um, and I'm curious, like, what has it been like kind of coming back to cheese in this way now that you're more on the uh, media end yeah. rather than the monger end? I mean, you never really get out, right? Yeah. I, mean, I feel like cheese people are so great, and I've kind of always wanted to stay in that world a little bit. Um, I was a cheesemonger in college and in culinary school, but then when I was working in restaurants as a bread baker and a pastry chef, I was still kind of curating cheese menus. And then when I moved over to media, I kept writing about cheese. So I, I don't really feel like I ever got out of it and I don't really want to. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there's so much storytelling in cheese and, and wine also, um, that that's kind of why I wanted to be in food media in the first place. Yeah, wow. Well, so is there anything you can talk about coming up at Savora? Um, well, there's some big news coming soon, uh, which I can't really get into right now. But yeah, in the next few months, we're going to be making some exciting announcements that I think people are going to be really uh, are, are going to want to hear about. So please yeah. like sign up for our newsletter because there's going to be some here. big news in the next couple of months. Um, but yeah, I mean, in the immediate sense, um, I think you know we got away from doing a lot of travel content during the pandemic. Um, partly, nobody could go anywhere, and there you know there's less interest in that. Um, but I think that's a really important part of our brand. Um, so one of our editors, Benjamin Kemper, um, has taken over as our travel editor, and we've been rolling out a lot more um, uh, kind of service-driven like destination guides um, since June or so. We're doing two of those a month, domestic and international. Um, and I think they're, too, they're really great. And we're, we're assigning those all to photographers and writers that are based in the places that we're covering. Um, and yeah, I think that like, people traveling to the places that we're covering right now are going to get a lot of use out of those guides. Yeah. What's, what's important to you in having locals cover their local community rather than having the kind of, I feel like the um, old style media of like somebody goes somewhere and writes yeah, about their trip. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for like parachuting a New York writer that you know and work with all the time into a place to cover it. Like, you know, the copy's going to come in really clean and it's going to be easy, right? But and the people in the, the writers in the place know the place better and it's more sustainable and it is more affordable and there you know the content is going to be better if you work with local talent um mm -hmm. so and i think it's very important for us moving forward that we're going to continue to reach out whenever we can um to expert experts in the area because anybody can like google what's the 10 best restaurants in x place and write up an article from it mm -hmm. um if we're going to be adding to the conversation at all i think bringing that insider perspective about where to eat where to drink uh, what are the most important dishes to try in a place um you know, no one's going to have a better understanding of that than than writers living there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's uh, that's very exciting to hear. Um, yeah, I guess uh, is there anything cheesy coming to Sabor anytime soon? Um, is there anything cheesy? I'm sure there is. Oh man, uh, I didn't prepare. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's the holidays are coming up, so definitely there is going to be some cheese moments. There will be some cheese moments in the gift guides, um, and we're going to have a lot of great cheese recipe content rolling out soon. Um, not sure what else, but I'm sure there will be. Yeah, we never really let let too much time go by without you know some new cheese coverage. Yeah. It's got to stay cheesy. 
Um, yeah, well, thank you so much. Um, it's been so great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me, H. Yeah. This was fun. Welcome to the HRN Podcast Lounge, live at the Art of Cheese Festival. I'm Jessica. I'm here with H, also from HRN. We are joined by two wonderful James Beard Award winners. We have the award-winning author, Laura Worlin, whose books were very instrumental in teaching me about cheese when I was starting out, and Belinda Chang, sommelier, with an incredible, incredible fingernails I wish everyone could see, but they are here at the festival talking about wine and cheese, and you have wine and cheese on your nails. Magnetic. First, world's first magnetic 3D nail art. It's amazing. Live on the radio. Looks incredible. I um, want to start by asking you guys, we're at the end of the day, about your sessions, how they go, what what was, the, what was the experience like today? Well, I discovered that Belinda and I are like the best pairing in the world. <laughs> oh my God. We were going to ask you about the best pairing of the weekend, but it's yeah, you two. But it's us. It's like wow. sometimes, you know, you, it, it, we brought cheese and wine to a new level in a human form in terms of a really good pairing because you never know. You know, we've never worked together before. And both of us, I'm sure, I know I and I'm sure you, yes. have been paired, as it were, with uh, different partners over the years to do what we do. And you, you know, you hope it's gonna work, but you, do, you know, chemistry is chemistry. And, just uh, like a cheese and wine pairing. You yes. Hope it's gonna work, and That's you just exactly don't right. really know in the moment. That's right. <laughs> and you know the elements, but that it, it is until you put them together that you, you know, that you can find out. And so I think we discovered that we work really well together. Yeah. And because we have similar sensibilities and, uh, similar sort of expertises in our fields. We and love to put stomp grapes together yes. in old world countries. Yes. Maybe, yeah. We've, yes. Maybe we, we discovered a lot. Maybe this goes on the road. <laughs> ah. Well, so for people who couldn't make it to your, um, to your workshop, to your pairing um, class, what could you give us like a brief Cliff's Notes of what you guys were doing? Yeah. I think it's so fun to find all the ways to experience foods that you love, right? You know, maybe sometimes cheese is a little snack for you in the afternoon. Maybe sometimes it's a part of the appetizer assortment that you serve at a dinner party. But throughout all of that, you need to find the right beverage. And, you know, if you're going to ask me, I'm always going to say that there's a wine appropriate answer to that. So it was really fun to explore six different cheeses, some which were brand new discoveries, right, for both of us. And also to find ways to find the best match. I think it's actually much more difficult to find a perfect pairing for one cheese than it is to just serve some things that you really like, some wines you really like with some cheeses that you really like. And I think we got really kind of like granular and into the details for how to find like a revelatory moment when you put a Wisconsin cheese and a wine together. And I think we found a couple today with all of our... We did, we did. And even uh, the ones that we kind of expected might work uh, we found some that were actually maybe even better than that. Ah, because, I love and those that's, surprises. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, that's the thing. You know, as we all know, cheese and wine are both agricultural products, and they change uh, from vintage, vintage to vintage in, the ter in terms of wine mm -hmm. and cheese at the very you know artisan level, maybe batch to batch. And so you never know. It's always a little bit of a mystery as to whether they're going to work but you know you when you've done it a while you have some sense of whether they whether it will or not 
So today, what we did was we took these cheeses, Belinda uh, chose some wines, not based on having tasted the cheeses, but based on the styles of cheeses, mm-hmm. and, uh, and put them together. So what makes it fun also is that it's a discovery for us, too, because we stood there and naked. tried. We were naked. We were, we were yes, we, <laughs> we were professionally naked. We were professionally naked. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and tasted along with the people that attended. And, uh, and made the discoveries together. And that's part of, I think, any good seminar is having, um, is, is making those discoveries together. Having a little drama, a little uncertainty. Mm. Would they or would they not fail? <laughs> yeah, and if they fail, then you just say, well, it's not our fault. <laughs> and if they're great, it's our if fault. It's our fault. <laughs> so out of the six pairings, can you give us, each of you, your favorite pairing? Well, I'll start with saying, so we did six different styles of wine, kind of like you would in a tasting menu in a restaurant. You know, a lot of times we start with sparkling or a glass of champagne, so we did that. And then we did two different whites, two reds, and we also did a port wine, which a lot of people are like, port and cheese, duh, that's absolutely what you always do. But we also wanted to do some things that were surprising, like we had the Irie Pinot Gris from Willamette Valley, which is an old vines Mm. Pinot Gris, and I think a really iconic white wine that not a lot of people think of for a cheese pairing. So as we went through with all the wines, we did, I think, some things which was so fun to do with Laura because she knows so much about the cheeses and how they interact. We got so much storytelling in there, too. But I think there were surprises, right? Like, I sort of was like, mm, the port's going to be great with everything. But I think in some cases we found, I thought the Pinot Gris with the blue was really delicious. A really great salty sort of young blue with the Pinot Gris from Willamette Valley. I mean, I'm taking that home. You know, I'm now going to have case of the Irie Pinot Gris at home with the little blue cheese. Yeah, so the blue that uh, that Belinda's referring to is called Breezy Blue, made by Kingston Creamery, and here in Wisconsin, obviously. And uh, and it was. It was very often a blue can overtake almost any wine. But this, this kind of classic Pinot Gris from Oregon, with that, you had the fruit and the, the texture from the wine mm, yeah. that went really nicely with this uh, blue that's a mixed milk blue. It's not just cow's milk. And it was um, it was just a really nice textural and flavor uh, pairing. And then another one that was my favorite, I think, there's a there's a, uh, a new-to-me cheese here in Wisconsin called Luna, made by Hill, Va- uh, Hill Valley Dairy. And it's kind of a Gouda meets Alpine-style cheese. Oh, it was so good. And with this uh, kind of, I guess it's an old vine, Zinfandel, from yeah. Hartford Court. Hartford Russian Court. River Valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sonoma the, Zinfandel. Right. Sonoma near the coast, sort of. Um, yeah, Zin. That combination was really nice because uh, other kinds of Zins can be really, really big and powerful, yes. and it would have, op- and they overtake almost everything. But in this case, they were both. It was dialed back, and it was a really nice combination. Yeah. So, I mean, it was all a discovery. I think what's really fun too is where we had six wines and six cheeses that we designed to go together and to talk about and discuss. But it was also really fun to just explore and try everything with mm. everything. I, you know, as Laura has too, I've written so many wine pairing notes for the various celebrity chefs I've worked for, and they'll give you a recipe and they'll say, "This is what it tastes like," but you never really know until you put it in front of you and try to get every little micro herb on the plate together to. Make Make the perfect bite and then try the wine itself. Um, so it's great fun to do this with everybody who is here for Art of Cheese. Yeah. Did you hit any clashes? Were there any? Were you like these? Don't, these don't play. These don't play. Keep them apart. Yeah. 
Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, the common maybe misconception is that red wine is the right wine to do with cheeses because it happens at the end of the meal. You maybe like ordered a big California Cabernet or something and you have a little bit left after you finish your entree. And commonly the reflex is to ask for some cheese to mm-hmm. finish your wine. And I think, you know, the revelation maybe for some of the people we were with today is like, maybe that's not the right answer. Because we did have uh, in one session a Brunello de Montalcino from Fattoria Barbie which is a really amazing estate for Brunello. And then we also had a super Tuscan blend of Cabernet and Merlot and Sangiovese. And that was not the most flexible wine with all of the cheeses. So Mm. I hope that everybody might reach for something a little different now moving forward when you're home and you're opening the refrigerator and opening the drawer and thinking like, okay, I've got these cheeses. What am I going to open to go along with them? And, you know, so, and I talked to the group about that too, because they're, they're kind of three goals you're trying I mean three not goals um, three sort of levels of pairing one is what I call Switzerland where it's sort of neutral and, I love this and, yeah mm-hmm. and they play well wow. and the cheese and the wine play well in the sandbox together but they're not going to rock your world but that's, honestly that's most pairings then you get to what I call the Titanic which we mm. all know did not end well mm. so you have <laughs> not the cheese you. yeah you have the cheese and you have the wine and together yeah you wish you hadn't and then the, other, the opposite end of that is what I call nirvana, where you have the cheese and you have the wine, and together the angels descend. Mm-hmm. And so the goal is to get there. But it, as I said to the group today, unlike in life, I mean, just like in life, nirvana doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> we just aspire. It doesn't always so, smell like teen spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... Um, yeah, so that so that's really what you're looking for when it comes to pairings and we had some Nirvanas today. Yeah, We absolutely. did not have any Titanics. But I also no love that people had different favorites. You know, I think your, everybody's palate is different, and it's attenuated in a different way, and it's like where you grow up or where you live or what the pH of your water is. So I think things can be all things to all people in this, like, pairing journey or this fun food and wine journey, right? You know, it just if you love it, you love it. No one's going to say you're wrong. Unless you're wrong. (laughs) I won't say it. (laughs) So I'm sure you drink a lot of wines in your in your job what about who tells you like, that <laughs> and, uh, it's not the nails it's okay. not the nails it's not the nails <laughs> and, and I know that you also you, if you've worked in the cheese industry for a long time you've tasted a lot of cheeses from a lot of places but you did say that there was something new for you today that there was a new cheese I'm wondering you know we're here at the Art of Cheese Festival Wisconsin is showcasing you know some of their great cheeses. Of course, they can't showcase all of them. I heard earlier today there's 600 cheeses that they, at least that have been counted, in the state of Wisconsin. So um, have there been some new things this weekend that you hadn't tried before? Like what, what cheeses have excited you this weekend that maybe are new to you? We didn't talk about it in our, our session, but I have a new obsession with Limburger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and an but a goodie. we were with Professor Dean at the Center for Dairy Research. We were yeah. together, H, in the Cheese Making 101 class, which everybody needs to take. I mean, it was awesome. I learned so much. And I also learned that everything becomes Limburger. So now I just think Limburger is life, and I want to have 
have Limburger with Funyuns, and I want to have it in my life all the time. Um, you know, because I think a lot of us were obsessed with, you know, sort of the stinky cheese cart cheeses that we would see all the time, some of the, like, very classic French items. But, you know, yeah, it was just, it was, like, so fun. I, you know, of course, we think about the cheddars, and we think about some of the more famous things, like the Uplands, the Pleasant Ridge Reserve, which we all really love and have seen in our fancy restaurant cheese carts. But, I mean, there's so much cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, uh, I was really impressed with Schroeder Casa. So uh, Brian Schroeder is making soft ripened cheeses, meaning like brie-style cheeses, here in Wisconsin. And that's a category of, of cheese that really has not been developed in the dairy state here. And so uh, he makes a, triple, a couple of triple crumbs. One has edible vegetable ash, and the other doesn't. And I learned today that he is going to be making some other kinds of, of soft ripened cheeses with, like, I think it was either cranberry or cherry or something like that, and uh, kind of seasonal and very visually appealing. And when you think about it, very often people make baked brie and they put, mm. you know, a jam on it of some mm. kind. So it's sort of going to be all of that without having to bake it. It's all going to be in one bite. But most of all, I, I, you know, I'm, I sort of like just the pure straight cheeses and so the you know the triple crown without flavorings or whatever I'm just I really really think he's nailed and uh, and I'm excited to see again that category here in Wisconsin because it didn't exist before very true and you kind of brought up flavored cheeses yeah there's a lot of flavored cheeses yes. in Wisconsin how do you pair wine with a flavored cheese should I As share my secret? Question I've had. This was the world debut of my big secret to pairing cheese and wine. It's that I think about wine as um, a basket, and you fill the basket with some of the aromas and flavors. So a Chenin Blanc or a Vouvray, you know, you always think of like tart green apples and um, pears and all the different fruits and maybe some brown spices and maybe a little honey. So if you would take all those accoutrements and pair that with a cheese... I feel like you've got the right wine. You're going to pair it with Chenin Blanc or Vouvray. So if you think about a wine like a Shiraz, it's all like blueberry jam and dark fruits, and you have a cheese that you love with that kind of dark berry jam, you've got a pairing right there. Add Shiraz like you would the jam. So that's how I like to do it. And I think when it comes to a flavored, to certain flavored cheeses like, you know, habanero cheddar or whatever it is. Dill Havarti. Uh, yeah. all that well, have. Dill Havarti is a little different. When it comes to the spicy ones, I say pair it with beer. Oh. <laughs> Forget mm. wine. La, 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 la. Not, <laughs> not listening. This is sacrilege. <laughs> yeah. Well, not in Wisconsin last I checked. I think there's a brewery or two here, isn't there? So I'm pretty sure you could find a beer to go with those spicy cheeses. And I think that's a better match than wine, because spice and wine are pretty hard to match. Very hard. Yeah. Yeah. You could try a little Riesling Spätlese, maybe throw some sugar at it. That's a common way to deal with things that are very hot when you have this wine paradigm, or like demi-sec sparkling wine or champagne. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of sparkling oh. wine or champagne, I mean, I feel like he <laughs> handed that right to me. But uh, <laughs> we have, well, first, can you tell us what this bottle is? 
So I'm a huge fan of the classics when it comes to the cheese styles, and we've discovered so many of them here in Wisconsin. But you know, when it comes to champagne, I think something like 60% of the champagne in the world is made by this maison, Chateau Moët et Chandon. So this is Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier. And um, what is more fun than a very big bottle of champagne after a long day of cheese talking and cheese tasting and cheese speaking? So I brought a fun magnum of it to celebrate what's happening here in Madison, Wisconsin. And a a gold magnum. A gold magnum that is illuminated. I was going to say, it's not just any magnum. This thing lights up, it dances, it sings. It does all kinds of stuff. And there happens to be good juice in the bottle, or so I'm told. I wouldn't know. Uh, (laughs) All right. All right. So, you know, there has to be um, champagne cork safety at Mm -hmm. all times, just like you want to be very careful with your cheese knives. So you turn the little spinny thing six times, and you want to be very careful, push and pull. And if you do it right... We should get a little whisper, like the crunch in the cheese. You want the whisper with the champagne. You mean it's like kind of gauche to have it go pop, like really loud I mean, pop? You know, you know, there's there's all the vibes. Sometimes the pop brings on the party and makes it very festive. And then my favorite sound is the glug glug glug. <laughs> in a plastic cup. That's awesome. <laughs> going to capture it here, but I'll tell you what, it's a beautiful sound. (laughs) That whisper was so impressive. I'm like the person in the corner with my back turned with a towel wrapped around the cork, like hoping that I don't break a window or something. Or or, yeah, pop out your eye, heaven forbid. But you know, I mean, beer is one thing. Well, pain though. The other night, we were out for dinner here in Madison, and I had a glass of wine from Wisconsin. Oh, fun! So, How was it? It actually was very tasty. It was a white wine, and it was um, fruity. The the description in the menu was that it had um, notes of mango. And I think it did a bit. It was a little, it was a little juicy tropical, um, but was it, it made from mango? I know. I'm wondering, like, what they have a lot of fruit wines here. <laughs> although mango, I don't think is one of them. Yeah. But what is the Wisconsin like wine scene? Are well, we seeing wines being made I think in the, the Midwest? Cool thing is, all 50 states have wineries. Every single one has at least um, one, and there's an incredible legacy of making wine in like Missouri and places that might be surprising to most people. Um, but not all of those wines are grape wines. You can use all the fruits, just like with cheese. It's a fermentation process, and you take one thing, and in the case of wine sugar, and turn it into CO2 and alcohol. And so, you know, you make delicious beverages and wines. I'm I'm doing air quotes right now. Wines (laughs) from things other than grapes. But there are all kinds of delicious things. And I think those are good things for cheese as well. I had, as I said, a great rhubarb wine from here in Wisconsin, which I think has a cheese a cheese wow. buddy. We just have to find it. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, is it weird to say that I feel like this champagne almost smells a little cheesy? Like 100%. a little bit like an alpine? Like Not a, weird like at all. And, and like yeah. yeasty, yeah, toasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I'm like, I'm feeling like it's got, um, yeah, like cheese and crackers in this glass of champagne. It's no accident that bread and cheese go together. That's mm. right. Uh, mm-hmm. And in the mm-hmm. case of champagne, you've got it all. Yeah. And it's neither bread nor cheese. <laughs> yeah. We just need a little bit of that um, beautiful, soft, ripened 
yeah. triple cream. Yes, uh, the Schroeder mm-hmm. Kaza. Schroeder Kaza. Oh, yeah. that was champagne was delicious. Yeah, there, mm-hmm. yeah. there. Um, that's what's kind of cool about being here, is <clears throat> every time I visit uh, Wisconsin which isn't all that often, but every time I do, I do discover new cheeses. And more than that, I discover more diversity within the cheese-making realm. Mm. Uh, This is not, you know, Wisconsin is not just for cheddar anymore. Not that it ever was, (laughs) but I think people didn't know the diversity of cheeses that are made here. And that's kind of what's impressed me. And also how uh, very small cheesemakers are making kind of a big impact here. And we had an example of that, this cheese called Luna from Hill Valley Dairy. He makes cheese just once a week. The milk uh, is collected. Most of it is sold off to, a, to as fluid milk. But on Sunday, they collect the milk. On Monday, they make the cheese. And this Luna is kind of a Gouda meets Alpine style. And it's a beautiful burnished orange color. And it's aged many months, I think nine to, at least, or maybe more than that, maybe a year. And it is, it's got so much going on. It kind of tastes like an aged Gouda, meaning like these little bit uh, caramel, like burnt caramel kinds of flavors. But then the Alpine, which is sort of toasted nut kinds of Mm. characteristics Mm -hmm. all together. And it's a very meaty, savory cheese that Mm. goes a long way, a little bit. Yeah. goes a long way. And yeah. it went really nicely with the Zinfandel. It was really delightful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, uh, I used to make a cheddar alpine <gasps> cheese, so cool. I think that alpine as a flavor in other cheeses, it's like, um, it adds so much of the brothy, nutty notes, like you said, that I yeah. think like... So much umami, um, too. Yeah, I mm-hmm. think, uh, you know, there is a lot to be said for the, like, purity of certain, like, the styles and keeping them how they are, but I also think we've been talking about a lot of the innovation that we've been hearing about here, and I think the mixing of cultures, mixing of styles is really exciting. And I would like, say both yeah. meanings of the word culture, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. But I'm pop. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we talked to Huma, who makes a tandoori gouda that, like, is very exciting. <gasps> we had exciting. that at the cheese ball. It was yeah. so good. Yeah. Again, yeah. maybe a beer, maybe a beer cheese. Yeah, right, right. No, I'm going to find a wine. I'm going to find a wine. <laughs> I mean, but what, but Please what report back. <laughs> what you're referring to, though, is uh, true here in Wisconsin, and it's true in America. Uh, American cheeses are diversifying based on partly on the cultures that are here in America. You want to talk tandoori cheese, you know, things like that that are uh, that make a lot of sense. You know, they're not ones that are just kind of silly just for its own sake to add, oh, gee, you know, let's add curry to a cheese or whatever it might be. And, um, and it's really fun to see. I mean, it's part of cuisine. We are seeing all kinds of diverse cuisine around mm-hmm. American restaurants and things. So, of course, cheese would follow suit in any culture where cheese is already part of it. You know, I mean, I'm sure we're seeing, I don't know, I haven't seen it, but there's probably like lemongrass and Thai chili pepper cheese somewhere. And if there isn't, there will be. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but that's also part of America, even if it isn't part of Thai traditional cuisine with cheese, you know. But, yeah. 
And that's what's exciting, partly. I think it's a fun way, even though we're here in Madison and we're really experiencing the terroir of Madison through these, like, cheeses of Wisconsin, we're also traveling. I mean, that's what always has drawn me to wine. Like, even if you can't be in Friuli, you can enjoy a Friulian Pinot Grigio or a wine from that region and really feel like you're there. And I think the same thing with the cheeses. So it's fun. As you're talking about these Alpine-style cheeses, I want to break out into song and sing something from the sound of the music <laughs> and feel like I'm twirling around in a field, munching on some Alpine-style cheese, and drinking some, like, you know, high-elevation white wines. <laughs> that's why That's why I like working with you so much, because you're just like Julie Andrews. I, <laughs> I've got a song, a dance, and a twirly dress for every moment. <laughs> I just want you to know, Sound of Music, this is probably going to, you're going to go, wah, 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 but that was my all-time favorite Come film. Come on, see? And, <laughs> you and me, eye to eye. Yeah. Well, Laura and Belinda. I think the two of you definitely have a good thing going here. <laughs> I hope that I think you should do this at festivals all over the country. And a touring a really, show. Yes. Right? And yes. thank you for sharing with us some of your impressions of Wisconsin cheese and the p- cheese and wine pairings, the event today. And um, let's have a toast. <gasps> we yeah. have a little toast. Thank you for Cheers. joining us in the clink, HRN clink. podcast. Chin, chin. Chin. Thank, thank you for inviting thank us you to for part having of it. Us. There's nothing better than Heritage Radio Network. Oh, really. You guys I love the real you. Deal. And I know it's thank really, you. it kind of is a perfect pair between that and Artists and Cheese. It oh. really is. It's all of the same, same piece. So thanks for having us on. Beautiful. Thank you, thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at the Art of Cheese Festival, brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese and Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.